we'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for May 13th, 2018. And uh, today is going to be pretty much a dedicated Bible study uh, regarding a lot of the different stuff I've been putting off for a while. Um, we're going to talk about, the, the first subject's going to be Jekyll Island, which is where the Federal Reserve was actually conceived, and the um, Canaanite altars and gi giant skeletons that were actually found there, that, I mean, that are even on display to this day, uh, unless this museum had been shut down, but that they talk about in the, in the interview. And then we're going to go on and talk about ways that you can cleanse your land like if, if you if you're thinking about buying a property or um <clears throat> you're living on a particular place and you feel like there's a lot of uh, maybe things that went on there ahead of time i mean let's face it you've you've got you know thousands of years where a lot of bad stuff could have happened prior to you ever moving in there and uh, if you're on that land and you're not dealing with it it's going to affect you and your family uh, it's just a matter of cause and effect so we're going to go over that a little bit, and um, then we're going to get into um, um, our hybrids walking among us, a report by L.A. Marzulli, and then all of the, the a lot of different ways that you can stop uh, the quote alien abductions. These these uh, always can be stopped by calling upon the name of Jesus. It's the only way you can stop them. It's proven. We're going to give you some information there. Uh, hopefully this is going to be a really proactive, uplifting teaching. And uh, then we're going to actually get into Bigfoot attacks being stopped by calling on the name of Jesus. See, it always works. That's the thing. We are the, Christians are the only ones that have a solution to wickedness. We're the only ones on the planet that can really do anything about it. We're the only ones that on the planet as ambassadors of christ that have been given a remedy to actually truly remedy evil you can do all the secular things in the world and make what legislation and, and that's all good if it's moving in a positive direction but i really believe that needs to be initiated through what christians are doing and i'm not saying god can't come down and, and initiate it but we're ambassadors for christ on earth and these are things that that he expects us to engage in, to, to fight a good warfare, to put on the whole armor of God, to actually um, deal with this stuff. And, and Jesus Christ dealt with it all the time in his ministry. And he sat on his disciples to do the same thing. And they, they there was a lot of things that they did that is just really not commonly taught in the church today. So, um, And then we're actually going to get into even a dogman encounter. So uh, if you don't know what that is, just stay tuned. And um, so this is kind of a dedicated study on these, on these subjects. I'm going to just start rolling in the subjects I was covering on the alien agenda. I'm going to have to just start rolling them into uh, weekly studies. I, I can't keep putting these off. I'm, I'm accumulating too much material. There's no way I could even really do an alien agenda study right now. I've got too much information. So I'm, I'm going to start kind of trying to... Um, commingle it with the current event studies and i'm not even going to call these dedicated alien agenda studies anymore uh, i'm going to just have to try to include it in what we're doing and that way i can hopefully get to more broad a lot of the different subjects i was covering on more of a dedicated basis now before we get into that just some bible verses on engaging evil 
and you know i say these i've said these before i'm trying to kind of bring up some some new ones that i have as well it's not that they're new bible verses but just some other ones to consider the pdfs for these subjects are always avail available for free this one will be the one for uh um, May 13, 2018 at contendingfortruth.com. All the audios, all the PDFs are free. Um, been that way ever since I've been up on the internet since 2006. So um, you can always go there and print these out. So I, what I'm trying to do is kind of be, um, have a lot of this information in one condensed format for you so you can reference that, print them out, and... Um, you know whether you want to keep them in your in your Bible or, or wherever, uh, they're good as reference tools as well and good to memorize, especially. So Bible verses on engaging evil: Psalm ninety one thirteen, Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the at and and adder, meaning the snake, the serpent, the young lion and the dragon, shall thou trample under feet. Now Psalm ninety one is just awesome psalm in general. That's just one verse out of it. Uh, but it talks about the dragon shall thou trample under feet. And we got to be careful a little bit with some of this because um, some of like the denominations out there, I've seen it in the Baptist movement, I've seen it in the Pentecostal movement as well, where they're like, oh, Satan's just this dumb whatever, and we're going to smash him under my feet and all this other stuff. Be really careful with that because the Bible said that when Michael was contending um, with basically satan for the body of moses that he he did not bring a railing accusation against him but he simply said the lord rebuke you jesus didn't either when jesus contended with satan you know he quoted scripture back to him and he said get thou behind me satan and that type of stuff but he didn't it, it wasn't neither time now we're talking about jesus and michael michael probably the the highest created um uh, angelic being uh from that standpoint now i don't know how he would compare to a seraphim or a cherubim i you know who knows i mean but as far as power goes i don't think michael's somebody I'd really want to mess with you know what i mean i mean seriously and then jesus okay the creator of the universe it said that they did like michael did not bring a railing accusation against satan but he just said you know the lord rebuke you so um that's an example that i think we want to set and we don't want to, when we're engaging Satan, go off and, and get all cocky and all. Because I think you're opening doors there. And um, it's just unscriptural to do it. We've got examples. We've got examples of how Jesus and Michael contended with Satan. Now, not to say when we're going out there we're contending directly with Satan. But we're contending with his minions, his devils, his demons. Potentially his fallen angels and these types of things. So, just something to bear in mind. Um... Second Timothy one seven. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So, again, all this stuff like that we're going to be getting in today is not to give you a spirit of fear. Uh, I'm trying to encourage you and to scripturally show you that this is our birthright as Christians uh, to literally engage in this type of warfare and because collectively the church doesn't typically get into this type of stuff it's not that they don't have the capability of it i just don't think most christians are educated in it 
Um, the 501c3 churches, at least in America, will steer people away from this typically. Not saying every time, but most of the time they will. I mean, let's face it, it's, it's not something that's, um, for a lot of people, it'll scare them or, or they're afraid they're going to lose membership. Or a lot of people, it's like, oh, it's too... Um, I'm, this word I'm searching for, it, um, it's too militant, you know. Well, you know. But the Bible clearly states this is something that we're in a war, no matter if we like it or not. And uh, uh, we might as well be, you know, good Christian soldiers for the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, engage this stuff. Because, quite frankly, we, we really don't, I mean, yeah, I guess we have a choice, but what's the choice? I mean, lay down and just let evil overtake you and have no faith to believe that God can deliver you or deal with it or, or, you know, engage it. And then every time you'll have a victory in this regard, what it's going to do is dramatically increase your faith. And if you want to hear about some of the stuff that's happened to me, just key in supernatural in the keyword search box at contending for truth, just one word, dot com. And you'll see my supernatural experiences. And those are just some of the stuff I've been through um, and how God's delivered me. And um, I think it would be encouraging to a lot of different Christians to hear that and increase your faith. And so Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So this is something we should be doing every day, I believe, if not multiple times. It just depends how the Lord convicts you. Uh, and then it goes to the implements of the armor of God in Ephesians 6. I'm not going to get into all those. I've done that before, but you can check that out. Uh, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Now, remember that when we're going over all this stuff today, where it seems like, okay, when we talk about aliens or big men or big men, <laughs> big foot <laughs> or dog men, um, which a lot of people say, oh, come on, Dogman, what is that? Let me tell you something. Dogman sightings have been around for a long, long, long time. And uh, it's just they weren't near as prevalent. You go up on YouTube right now, you look at the hundreds and hundreds of testimonies of eyewitness accounts. There's literal multiple channels now just devoted to all the people calling and giving their testimonies and i to be quite honest with you these people aren't getting anything out of this a lot of times they don't want to do it but they feel like other people should know and be warned about it they're they're not doing it to get rich so much of the time they're anonymous you could tell they're not like me can't you sense when somebody is being i i know we can't always but the holy spirit lives inside a christian you can tell when somebody has an agenda, when whether it's a monetary agenda, whether it's they're trying to get something over on somebody. And then you look at the collective of things. You look at the collective body of people calling these people and, and, and literally um, trying to, to just warn people because they feel like that this happened to them. They feel like other people should know about it. And... Um, they're not doing they're, they're doing this out of the goodness of their heart you could so much of the time when you hear these testimonies i do not detect guile like the bible talks about in these testimonies i mean i can't even tell you the last time i heard one of these thinking oh this guy's he's totally lying or she's totally lying so much of the time you can hear the fear in their voice they don't even want to be doing this 
you know, they're trying to do it to kind of warn humanity, other people, this type of stuff. I don't know, the Lord, I feel like the Lord's prompting me right now, but I, I there was a gentleman, and I'm not even going to give his name, but he's got one of these shows, and he has a Christian um, uh, bent to it about the paranormal. And um, I had called him, I had heard a lot of people call, and um, but all, all the testimonies they're giving are fear-based. They're always fear-based. They're always like, oh, I saw this thing. I was so afraid and all this. And these are Christians. and and Or they dealt with this ghost or they dealt with this and they dealt with that. And very, very few times do I hear anybody really getting victory. And these are Christians. Um, the thing is, is you, you have to have the faith to believe that you can defeat them through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about you, um, lest any man should boast. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You have, you know, angels. You can, there's the whole scriptural premise of binding and loosing. You know, that concept. You have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the blood of Jesus Christ. You have all these weapons at your disposal. You know, the Bible says, it's not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh a rock in pieces got all these word the, the these um scriptural things at your disposal i just feel like just just use them have the faith to believe and 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 god will most likely start you out slow and i'm going to throw you typically right in the middle of some gigantic thing and it could happen but and then as you have victory and then you have another victory then you're going to really start you're going to it's going to increase your faith faith is like a muscle unless you use it it tends to atrophy or either stay stagnant or grow smaller. So the more you exercise your faith, the more your faith increases. And and these are just scriptural principles. So the Bible says, oh, anyway, but I I, um, I was going to go on a show. He wanted to have me on. had a phone consult with him. And I had that weekend. It was while I was on the phone with him. I got really, like, um, nauseous, sick to my stomach. I don't know if I started throwing up. I don't want to really ever throw up. I mean, it was, no, it was, it, I don't think I quite threw up, but it was really bad. I had to throw every single thing at this, at this thing to stop from getting sick. And this was while I was on the phone with this guy. Now, I don't know whether it's just because, I'm not going to say it's because he's a bad person, because I, I don't believe that. But for one reason or another, I wasn't supposed to go on air with this yet this message i don't know why but then i had this horrible dream that night to like confirm to me that no this is not what you need to be doing right this second your time for this has not quite come is really the, the message that i got and um when you could say well that was the devil doing yeah I, I don't i don't think so because god is perfectly capable of keeping the devil at bay and um, I'm sure the devil doesn't want me going on there, but for one reason or another, it wasn't my time to go on one of these shows yet. And maybe it's because I need to get more experience under my belt. Um, for one reason or another, it wasn't meant to be. And unfortunately, I, I let him know that, and I haven't heard from him since, so he probably thinks I'm a whatever, charlatan or whatever. But I did send him my, my teaching on the supernatural experiences and he was like blown away and that's why he wanted me on and i said listen i'm sorry i truly am but for one reason or another maybe it was to protect him 
you know maybe if i would have went on there and this would have come out he would have just gotten gigantically hammered in 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 would not have maybe had the faith to deal with what was coming at him and maybe it was more about protecting him than it was myself um, i don't know but i'm not going to try to fight god and that like that has never happened to me before that i i i had all these weird things like that happening saying nope nope i don't want you doing this yet you're running ahead of me you didn't pray about this really yes you had a conviction about going on this show yes you had you called him you had an open door you got but you should have prayed about it first you should have you should have consulted with god prior to even contacting this man and i didn't do that and and as a result it you know didn't work out that great um but for one reason or another i don't know i wasn't supposed to do it yet that day will come i believe lord willing and uh wasn't because i was afraid to do it that's for sure because i was like raring and ready i mean i've heard so many of these testimonies about people and they're like yeah i'm so afraid and i understand i get it you know you're seeing a bigfoot you're seeing a dogman or whatever you're terrified i understand that but i'm trying to instill faith in people so that they can literally confront these things so then all of a sudden we start to have people having victory over this stuff and then all of a sudden the fear factor starts to go away with a lot of people god has not given us a spirit of fear it says it right there in second second timothy or yeah second timothy 1 7 i just read it for god has given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind so the fear of man bringeth a snare and this is all under the the whole genre of fear of man stuff this whole cryptozoological alien stuff it's all fear of man based so i'm here to do the exact opposite for my listeners i'm here to get us out of that mindset you know um and then luke uh luke 10 17 and, and the 70 returned again with joy to jesus i and out of the to jesus part in but this is they came back to jesus saying lord even the devils are subject unto us through thy name okay so that's important to remember the devils are subject unto christians through the name of jesus christ and um jesus then said and he said unto them i beheld satan as lightning fall from heaven behold i give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you but you have to have the faith i really believe to appropriate that because without faith it is impossible to please god faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of god and faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen those are just all bible verses and then he goes on to say jesus says notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven yeah amen so in other words we don't want to get cocky you know in these types of things uh but rejoice because your names are written in heaven psalm 56 9 says when i cry unto thee then shall mine enemies turn back this this i know for god is for me so i'm probably reference this verse again psalm 56 9 later when we hear about the alien abductions so for before we get into this this is that uh interview i wanted to pray it, it, it's play it's about it's about 49 minutes so it's quite a long ways and um 
It says, what do the Canaanite altars and the giant skeletons have to do with the Federal Reserve? I mean, man, this thing just blew me away. Now, you could say, well, this guy talks about God speaking directly to him. Well, I believe God can do that. I mean, I think if, if the direction he's pointing somebody into accomplishes a biblical thing, which I think we're going to see in this particular case it does, um, is God created the universe? Can he do that? Yes. Is it typically the way that he ends up dealing with all Christians? No, it's not. As far as, I don't know if this guy's hearing an audible voice, but uh, I don't know. This just uh, this interview rang true to me. And um, Tim Bentz, uh, the man's name is Tim Bentz, visits Rod Skiba to give an amazing account of the of his time on Jekyll Island, which is where the Federal Reserve was formed. And G. Edward Griffith wrote a book, The Creature of Jekyll Island, which is like the definitive book on how it was created. But this is a whole other aspect. This is the occult aspect of the creation of the Federal Reserve in 1913, which basically is what crucified the dollar, essentially. It, 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 it basically was the death of the dollar. That's when it started, 1913. And so let's go ahead and um, play this interview here. Very, very interesting um, long story short, when I, when I was over in Europe and we had dealt with some of these, I, I came back from uh, this trip where the, the big Canaanite altar had been done. So this is Tim Bent speaking to Rod Skiba, and I, I'll see if I can get any better quality on this, maybe a little better there. Um, and you'll, you're just going to hear his account of what happened as he was kind of led by the Lord to go to Jekyll Island. And I just had been gone for three months. That, that whole trip was a three-month ordeal, and I was ready to make a beeline home and, and take some rest. And my wife and children had been over with me for part of it. They had come back to Oklahoma, and I was missing my family. I just wanted to get off the plane, and I had a car in New York because my brother lives there, and we had drove out there to visit with him and some friends. And I just wanted to make a beeline home in my car and not stop for anything but gas. When I landed in New York, the Holy Spirit said to me, I know you want to get home. I know you're missing your family. But I need you to do one more thing before you go. And he said, the timing is important. Before you go back to Oklahoma, go down to Jekyll Island, Georgia. Jekyll Island. And I said, Lord... So he said, before you go to Oklahoma, go back to Jekyll Island, Oklahoma. I don't even know. You know, I, I knew something about Jekyll Island. I, I had looked at some of the financial issues uh, in the 80s and 90s. I was looking at some of the uh, spiritual applications to financial things. But I really did not, was not up to speed on the history of Jekyll Island. I had just heard it from something. I had not even read you know, the book that's called The Creature of Jekyll Island. I've not even read that book, but I was aware of something about Jekyll Island and financial stuff. So so I, I went in my brother's house, got my computer out, and I just, you know, got on the Internet and typed in Jekyll Island. and was like, what's going on with Jekyll Island? And, and was praying and asking, Lord, why do I need to go there? And he said, when you get there, I will explain to you why what you need to do. But he said he just told me he says go go to the island and and plan to spend 
uh, it's a it's not that far from New York, but he said, I, I need you to, to tarry for a day or two and listen to me. I'll tell you what to do. So uh, I discovered when I got online that the Jekyll Island Club, which was this historical, um, you know, multi-millionaires country club that had been built in the turn of the century, it had just been remodeled and reopened. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. And immediately the Spirit of the Lord said, that's where I want you. So this is probably why the timing was important, because this Jekyll Island Club had just been remodeled and reopened. Uh, so. Took a room there. And so I, uh, I just booked me a, a room for that night and got in the car and headed that way. Um, all the way down there, I'm driving and I'm praying, and I'm, and I don't like, I know when the Lord tells me to do something like that, I have to obey. At the same time, I'm one of these guys that I don't like doing anything alone. I don't think God sends people alone. I think he, he often wants us to go in twos or threes. Right. And I'm not I'm not afraid to go alone, but it's just like, Lord, where's my little buddy, Leahu? Where's my, you know, there's got to be something important or God would not be, diverted me and, and I don't know anybody in Jekyll Island you know so I'm thinking who do I know in Georgia that I can call maybe maybe there's somebody that can come over and join me and and I just was complaining over bit. it's like Lord I'm tired I've been gone for a long time I'd really rather be going home what's so important about Jekyll Island that I got to go there now and the Lord just encouraged me he's like son please don't complain I don't ask you to do something unless it's important. I'm directing your steps, and this must be done now. So uh, I quit complaining and grumbling, and I just started praying and cheering up. And so I tried to just pray in the Spirit all the way down there. When I got to the um, when I got to the hotel, it was about 9 o'clock at night. And um, one of the things that I've, I've learned is that Whenever God's doing something territorially, he almost always has someone on site that's ready to open the door to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I call them gatekeepers. You know, in Chronicles, David ordained 4,000 gatekeepers as king. And, and we need to understand that anointing a little better. That's another story. But I, I, I often come into a place, if it's the first time I'm there, and I'm asking the Lord, connect me up. With who you already know or who you got your hand on that's that's able to open the door to your spirit and what you want to do. And so I expect God to order my steps, and I'm, I'm, I try to go with my ears and my eyes open looking for the local that God has his hand on. And they're not always hard to find if, you, if you're praying that way. So I walked into the hotel, and the, the lady behind the desk calls out my name. She says, are you Mr. Benz? And I said, boy, you're really good at your job, because I hadn't said anything yet. She said, well, you're the last one to check in. I just kind of figured that you must be Mr. Vance. So it was just a little bit of an exchange that was odd. It was not a normal way to start a conversation on her end. I was a little bit impressed that she was up to speed on her job, and she knew who I was. So I asked her, I said, you know, did you, do you like look at all the names? How did you know I was the only one left? And she said, well, I was actually here last night 
when you booked your reservation, I assigned you your room last night. So I was realized that you had not checked in yet, so I was looking for you. So I said, well, okay. And then she got this real funny look on her face. And I, I know I, I know that, that kind of looked like she's sitting there like she wants to say something else but isn't sure if she should. And I asked her, I said, you know, um, I'm here for a real interesting purpose. And if you know something else, please tell me. She goes, oh, I, no, I don't. I'm not, I'm not sure I, I should say it. And I said, no, I want to hear it. So I looked at her and I said, look, I'm, I'm a spiritual man and I, I believe God's doing something with me and I need to be here, but I don't know why I'm here. So I looked at her and I said, you work here. You live in this area. Why am I here? And she said, well, I did hear something really strange when I booked your reservation, but I don't have that kind of experience very often. So I, it's uncomfortable for me to say it. I said, well, please please tell me just whatever you know. Don't don't worry about it. I, I, I experience this kind of stuff all the time. She said, well, I was sitting in the office, and I was booking the reservations, and when your reservation came in off, over, the, over the Internet, I assigned you your room. I said, well, that's not unusual. So what, what did you do? What, like what? What made that different? She said, well, I heard this voice inside me, and that's never happened to me before. I said, what did you hear? She said, I heard this voice said, he's an ambassador. I'm sending him. Give him the presidential suite. And she she looked at me. She says, are you a real ambassador that's kind of incognito or something? Because I looked up your name, and you're not a country, an ambassador of a country. I said, I, I kind of laughed. I said, I'm not an ambassador of a nation that you understand, but I was sent by the Lord Jesus. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, and the word ambassador is one that's sent on an errand. I'm representing him. Well, remember what I said before about the Bible talks about us being ambassadors for Christ. Well, that's confirmation. I'm pretty sure this lady wasn't saved either. And I mean, this isn't like something where, you know, you know, I don't believe this guy's just making the story up about it. He's got report after report after report just like this before he's went to other places and, and basically the Lord's led him to do the same thing. It's a lot like Henry Groover, uh, but a little different. And, um, you know, the Lord's fully capable of, of setting up these types of things and, and, and doing them. But I just don't think there's a lot of people uh, that probably have this calling and um, so this is just a really super interesting interview. I am here to represent him. And I said, he's the one that's important that's coming on your hotel site, not me. And she said, well, I, I, I gave you the presidential suite. But I was kind of thought it interesting what I heard because I've never, I'm not, that's not normal for me to hear something like that. And so I said, do you know Jesus? Do you know the Lord as your Savior? And she said, yeah, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus. I just don't hear like that. So I said, well, did you hear anything else? She said, yes. As a matter of fact, there was one other thing. I, I heard that I needed to give you the presidential suite, that you needed to be here for two nights, not one. So I booked your reservation just like you asked for it, but I've also reserved you for another night. 
<laughs> Praise the Lord. And I, I did that without pay. I, I, I'm applying your payment to both nights. So you're getting the presidential suite for the price of one night, for two nights. And she said, I heard that I needed to introduce you to the gentleman that is in charge of our museum on the island and a few others that work here at the hotel that have lived here most of their life. Now, if you didn't hear that because it was a little muffled, I'm supposed to introduce you to the basically the curator of the museum on the island for Jekyll Island. Um, and I believe it happens to be on the same grounds as this hotel. I said, okay. Um, that sounds like you heard a word from God. And don't ever be afraid of that. Listen to his voice and let him lead and guide your steps. And thank you very much for telling me. This is going to be fun. We're going to figure out what he wants to do. <laughs> and I had no idea that it would relate to some of the other things, but I just thought that was so much fun. And it was like I, one minute I'm feeling alone, another minute it's like I've already got somebody on site that's hearing him and obeying him. Even though it's her first time to have an experience like that, she was obeying what she heard. That's what's critically important when we're doing spiritual warfare. It's not just to run into the battlefield and try to take down the demons, but it's to hear and obey. Yes. So anyway, I it was 9 o'clock. Uh, she texts me in and she tells me, we'll take care of your bag. We'll, we'll have the valet part of your car. She said, your room includes supper and breakfast. And the restaurant's only open till 10, so if you want to, go right on in there and get you a meal. We'll get your stuff up to your room, and you can go up there in a little bit. And then you need to come down sometime before 10 o'clock and, and have your breakfast. And so I, I went in the restaurant and had a good meal and uh, went to my room and got some rest. And the next morning I went down for breakfast, and uh, a different, different lady was at the desk, but she... She had a note for me and said that I that I had an appointment arranged with the uh, museum director and that he was blocking out most of the day to spend with me. So wow. I had my breakfast and then when I went, I went over to meet with him. I mean, uh, isn't this awesome? I mean, this is like to me, this is so encouraging, so faith building. <laughs> this this does to me. God's just totally arranging everything for him. I mean. From, you know, the lady that checks him in, and she's basically the one that's obeying God, setting all this stuff up. He only thought, maybe I'm only supposed to be here for night. No, she's like, no, you need to be here for two. <laughs> it's not like she was some in some Christian ministry and told him this. She's just the lady working at the front desk. But she heard the voice of God. And then she was like, I know I'm supposed to set up this curate. And then the, 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 basically the curator of the museum to set aside basically the whole day for this guy. So the curator of the museum had to also be open to this, but God can arrange all of that. I mean, just an amazing thing here. Again, I'm just there. I don't know personally yet why I'm there. I'm just hearing and obeying what I do know. And... But I'm rested and I'm well fed and I've been taken good care of and the presidential suite was fabulous and it was like 
Lord, why did you give me this? I, I didn't ask for it. I didn't ask for, you know, a special VIP treatment. Why are you doing this? So when I asked the lady at the desk, um, the one that I had met the night before was not there. So I said, you know, this is a pretty nice room, what you guys put me in. And she looked at me. She goes, no one has stayed in that room since 1948. It's been totally remodeled to the first guest that actually has stayed in there since it's remodeled. She said the last person that stayed there was the actual president. And I thought, well, that's interesting. So I'm sitting there just pondering the idea that not getting caught up in the luxury of the room, but just thinking, what is it about that room that God was wanting to invade? And thinking it's not about me having a nice king-size bed and, and some luxury. It's about... Since 1948, nobody had stayed in the presidential suite? I mean, the the hotel had been shut down a long time, been remodeled, and then was coming back online. So I don't know how long they were actually shut down. But, I mean, that by itself, he's the first one? I mean, it's kind of a big deal. And the, literally the last person that had stayed in there was a president? The president of the United States? Unbelievable him coming in and doing something himself. Why did he need the presidential suite? Why did he want to do something in Jekyll Island? And those are the way I'm questioning and praying. So I go meet with the museum gentleman, his name is John, and when I go meet with him, I just introduced myself. I told him a little bit about who I was and what I do. Uh, he was not a very spiritual guy, so he 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 respected it, but he he just kind of told me right off the bat, you know, I uh, I I don't I don't really understand prayer and intercession that kind of stuff. He said, I believe in God, but I'm not very spiritual. So he's he's having faith. He's having favor with people like this guy, who's not not a Christian. The lady at the front desk, you know, she said, I believe in God and Jesus, but not really, you know. I don't know exactly where she was at with the Lord, but it's not like these were hardcore Christians that God can get, and what I guess the moral of the story is there is he can have you, um, when he's arranging your steps and preparing the way, um, you can have favor with the people you would just like least likely, like a curator of a museum like that you typically would think was, you know, somebody with like more of a, scientific background college you know and, and this is where you know a lot of people get uh brainwashed the academic field and this type of stuff but yet he was still having favor with this very gentleman and i said well that's okay you're still important i need there's something you know that i need to know and i said i don't know if you'll understand it but the king of kings set this appointment up there's something you know i need to know and I'll pray for you, and I'll pray for the business here, and I'll pray for whatever it is that God wants, but just please attend to this as something very very important, you know, and thank you for your time. So um, we started talking. Uh, he was, of course, started out talking about the financial stuff because this Jekyll Island is where the Federal Reserve Banking System was birthed and conceived. And at one time when it was functioning in the 1900s up to the 20s and 30s, 
some say one-third, some say two-thirds of the world's wealth would vacation on that island. Mm-hmm. It was the highest conglomeration of wealth in a single place very often anywhere in the world back in the turn of the century. Wow. So uh, it this seems like a little island that's not anything significant at all now, but it's amazing to see the financial side of the history of that spot. And so I... I'm sitting there looking at some of the the things that he's telling. I'm just thinking about some of the things he's telling me. We went out, walked around, and he showed me some of the cottages that had been restored, and the the club itself, and the the rack, the tennis courts, and you know the, they had a pier where the boats would come up. And he's just kind of showing me the grounds, and then we go to the museum. And he's talking a lot about the financial stuff and the guys that built it. And each cottage was, you know, marked and named. Some of them had been restored. Some of them didn't exist anymore, but they had like a sign that this is where this one was, and that one was built by J.P. Morgan, and that one was Rockefellers, and, you know, that one was uh, just, they, they had each one of them named. Well, they're all kind of So J.P. Morgan, Rockefellers, we're talking even, you know, back then as it is today, just some of the biggest players on planet Earth. This is the place where, at the time, it was the zenith of where the rich and famous and these types of really high-level, um, most likely Illuminati bloodlines met and vacationed. So, whereas it may not be that now, it sure was then, evidently. It names. And then they're all, you know, got some kind of plaque on who the financial mogul was that had built them. And they're not really elaborate luxurious mansions. They're just simple cottages for the most part, which was kind of interesting to know that the richest people in the world built them and they were very low key and almost like a you know, cabin in the woods instead of a luxurious house like you'd expect. And they all had Indian names. So I started asking them about the Indian history of the island and he lit up. He just was like, that's what he really wanted to talk about because he loved the Indian history. And so he, uh, he he takes me back to the museum, and he said, we got a lot of stuff on the Indians. He said this was uh, actually a, like the uh, government um, main, uh, main community for a tribe of Indians that don't exist anymore. And that tribe was called the Timucas. And I said, well, that's interesting. My name's Tim. And... Uh, Anyway, I didn't know anything about the Timucas. I'm from Oklahoma. I've I've learned a lot of Native history, and I have some Native bloodline, but I did not know anything about the Timucas. So I just asked him, please tell me everything that you can tell me about them. I want to, there's something about the Natives that I feel like I need to know. So um, he said, well, the Jekyll Island Club was actually built on top of everything that the Indians had. So they just kind of wiped the village out and built the club on top of it. So wherever the chief's house was, there was a cottage now. Wherever the council house was, there was now the Jekyll Island Hotel. And he said everything that's built and visible today was is actually sitting right on top of something that was significant in the Indian village when it existed. So he said the fact that this whole place had to go into ruins 
and then be rebuilt and become an archaeological state park, he said it actually helped us identify the native history because the club itself had almost erased that. And so I said, well, you know, let's look at the museum. I want to see some of the Indian stuff. So we're looking at arrowheads and spear tips and, you know, just artifacts that they had found and pottery shards and things and seashells that they had had. And he showed me all this stuff in the museum. Um, he, he shows me some fragments of a weapon that was like an unusual bow. And when I say unusual, I mean that it was a, a, like a double-curved bow. And that was a very unusual shape of the bow for a native tribe. I had never seen that shape before with an American Indian tribe. And I've seen a lot of bows and arrows. So I asked him, I said, this seems unusual. I've not seen this before. In Oklahoma, every native tribe, the bows would look like a single bow or just a, a single curve. I said, this is quite extraordinary, especially as far back as this tribe was. So um, he said, yeah, we found a lot of weapon-type artifacts that we, we've not seen with other tribes. And I said, well, how do you know these were Native Americans? Maybe they were from somewhere else. He said, oh, no, 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 they, they were, they tell me, because they, you know, they, they're well-established along the Florida and Georgia uh, coast, and he said, we got a lot of stuff in, in three or four states about them, and they were quite prolific at one time, so he said, we know they're Native Americans. I said, well, all right, what else you got? He said, well, we got some skeletons. He said, do you want to see this, the bones? And I said, well, yeah. You know, that sounds, you don't get to see a skeleton very often. I said, are they where we can actually see them, or are they buried? He said, no, they're visible. So they had a burial site that they had been very respectful for when they built the museum. When they found a burial site, they didn't move the bones. They left them where they were, and they just uncovered them to where they were visible, and then they built the museum on top of them. They did basically the same thing with the museum that the Jekyll Island guys had done with their houses. They put a piece of plexiglass over the burial site so you could see it, but they were still trying to respect where the bones were and not move them. And so I'm looking at four skeletons of the Timuca chiefs. And uh, they knew they were chiefs just from different things that were buried with them. So all of a sudden I look and I realize, man, these guys are really tall. And I commented to the guy that, you know, how tall are these guys? They look unusually large. And he said, yeah, they're all about eight or eight and a half foot tall. <laughs> So they're giants. These these Indian skeletons are giants. Um, so that right there. Now I don't know if this museum, like the hotel, was also has also been closed for a long time, and then they just reopened it because it's very very rare to be able to go anywhere. Because the Smithsonian will go and gather up all the skeletons wherever. There, I mean, they'll try to get rid of photographic evidence, physical evidence for sure. I don't know whether this is one by God's grace or whatever that has been allowed to exist. I don't even know if it's there now. It might not be. I don't know. But that by itself is pretty amazing. Because the Smithsonian has had an absolute um, 
dedicated plan going all the way back into the 1800s to go in wherever these giant skeletons are found. And they're found all over the country. They're found all over the world. And to get rid of them, dispose of them, so that there's no record of them. And even though there's multiple newspaper reports of the Smithsonian, uh, or uh, of these giant skeletons being found in all kind of newspapers, I mean, there's a whole book written on it that I've got regarding the giants. And, I mean, that book wasn't even written by a, by a Christian. It was written by just a, a secular guy that wrote about it. And um, I know Steve Quayle's written a book on giants. And the Smithsonian cover-up's well-known. Uh, so they don't want anything out there that's going to confirm the Bible is the reason they're doing it. And does it line up with the Darwinian evolutionary timeline type of thing? Because it's very hard to, to explain that from a Darwinian evolution standpoint. So that's another reason. And I'm sure there's probably others too. But mostly it's the Bible. They don't want anything out there that you can point to and say, say, here guys, here's a whole bunch of giant skeletons. Just like the Bible says, when David fought Goliath and then, you know, his his mighty men fought his brothers and then, and then when they went into the promised land, there were giants there. And, you know, uh, Genesis 6 and Noah's day. Got all these, you know, they don't want anything... They want to keep things to a bare minimum that will ever confirm the Bible. And that's a big one. I'm like, well, that doesn't seem like a normal Native American, especially the tribes that I'm familiar with. He said all the Timucas were unusually tall, even the women. Okay, so he had all he said all the Timucas were unusually tall, even the women. So that's very, very odd because they weren't the you know, the vast majority of Native American tribes that were here were smaller, you know. And whenever you had an unusually, what are you dealing with? You're dealing with a tribe that is has some Nephilim component with some fallen angel, angelic component where they were um, interbred, fallen angels, just like in um, Genesis 6. And then you had these tribes which were unusually large, 8 to 9 feet tall or whatever, that evolved from that. We found other skeletons and you know parts parts of bones out in the grounds, and he said uh, we've got pretty good evidence that nearly all of them were extraordinarily tall. And I said, well, what is you know what? How do you explain that in relation to other tribes on the Atlantic coast who were not? He said, I don't know. It is an unusual anomaly. He said, oh, by the way, I've got a painting that you might want to see. It's actually the copy of the original. We've got it under lock and key. But he said, I got a painting that, that actually shows the Indians uh, from a, a, a group of French colonists that came to the United States uh, before it was the U.S. This was right after Columbus. He said that it was the first colony of French uh, folks that came over to try to establish a colony on the coast. And he said they landed in Jekyll Island. And they had some interaction with these Indians. And then they got so uh, appalled by what they saw and witnessed that they fled at night and ended up in San Augustine, Florida, and established that city. Wow. Which is the oldest city in Florida, St. Augustine. So they li- these French colonists literally landed on Jekyll Island first, were so horrified and appalled at what these Indians, these Tem- Tamuka Indians, these giant Tamuka Indians were doing 
from what they saw, and this is the painting evidently they painted, to describe what was going on here. So we have a first-hand account of these, uh, the actions of these Indians by the French. So I said, were they the Huguenots who were the French group that established St. Augustine? He said, yes. I said, well, I'd like to see that painting then. So he pulls that out. I'm looking at it. And it shows the Indians and all their regalia, and they're dancing around and having some kind of a ceremony. And it's got the fire, and it's got just, it's a typical, either they're having a party or they're having a war scene. And, and it, it has um, some things with the weapons. So I said, gosh, this has got some weapons in it that clearly validates the archaeology that they found. And then I see an altar. And I'm going, I don't know of a Native American tribe anywhere in the country. I know some that had log houses or high places or worshipped, you know, nature in some way or had totem poles or that kind of stuff. But this one has a stone altar, and it looks a whole lot like the one that I had dealt with in the Middle East. And So he had dealt with a stone altar in the Middle East that looked very similar. And he said that the weapons that were in the picture were also the same weapons he was looking at that were very unusual for Indian tribes. Double curved bows, just weird stuff like that. That was what was depicted in the picture. So we're getting like double confirmation here that this is a legitimate uh, first contact testimony with a painting to boot to confirm it. This painting is literally the, the French's version of what like they saw them doing. And this is why they were so appalled. You're going to hear it in a second. And then and they fled the island, I guess, in the middle of the night to, and then ended up in St. Augustine. I'm looking at the picture and I'm going, is this an altar? Is this stone like something they're sacrificing on? Because this guy's holding babies in his hands in this picture. Holding he babies. Said, yeah, they're cutting those babies. They're hacking those babies up in that painting. So they're hacking the babies up in the painting. So you can understand why the French were so appalled at what they were seeing. What, when you look at the details, two of the shamans or chiefs are holding a baby up by the ankles and they're whacking their heads off and spilling the blood on this altar. Oh. And I'm like, sir, I, I don't want to be... So again, whenever you look in the Bible, what... If you let devil the devil take you as far as he's going to take you, typically it always ends up at infant child sacrifice. You know, always ends up there. Because it's, it's the most evil, wicked thing. I mean, you know, then you get into the whole stuff like with Hillary Clinton, pedivore, consuming them, cannibal. They were probably doing that too as well. And spilling the innocent blood on the altar and... Um, you know, this is what they do. This is what Satan will always direct a society to do that's been totally taken over. It always ends up at, at infant child sacrifice. Always. Because that's how, you know, that's what Satan requires. Disrespectful of your training and archaeological understanding and history, but I don't know of any native tribe that did what I'm seeing here, unless it was a, an act of war. And this is really, really unusual. And I've seen this type of scene. 
with artifacts over in the Middle East. And I've seen weapons like this over in the Middle East. I said, are you sure this is Native Americans and not some kind of colony that came from over there? And he, he was convinced they were Native. And I said, well, I'd like to show you some things on a few websites that identify artifacts in the, in the Middle East countries, and especially Egypt and Israel and Syria and Jordan area, and I, some of those spots where there's some of these ancient groups. And I said... So this is why God had him in the Middle East first, so he would have a perspective on, okay, here's what was going on in the Middle East. These are like big-time canaanite nephilim type altars that were being used and then the weapons that they had so when he went over here he's seeing the same stuff on jekyll island and that same stuff is not indicative of all the other native american tribes of america so he's like i have a different perspective than this curator has who just kind of lives in a bubble he's showing him okay listen here's here's this is the same stuff going on in the middle east are you sure this is a native american tribe to go to this altar that's depicted in this picture that the French drew. They know where the altar is. It still exists to this day. He's asking the curator to take him there. Can, can I go to this altar and see it? He said, I can take you to the altar, but you can't see it. And I said, why can't I see it? Is it buried? He said, no, no, it's not buried, but it has a house built on top of it. I said, who would be crazy enough to build their house on top of a blood sacrifice altar? He said, well, Rockefeller was. <laughs> so, so, just in case you didn't hear that, because it's not the greatest audio quality, literally, Rockefeller built his personal house on Jekyll Island over this exact Canaanite altar where they used to sacrifice who knows how many hundreds or thousands of babies they've sacrificed over this altar he must have really liked the vibe there rockefeller okay one of the you know most wicked factions of 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 the illuminati so i mean this is just just shows you how serious these occultists take this stuff where they'll go to these links you know to to do insane things like this You know, I just, like, okay, uh, can we go there? And he said, yeah, it's just a short walk. Come on. And we've actually, you know, had already walked by it. So he said, uh, I've got the keys. He said, normally nobody can go in. Um, they, they, 
the way these things are set up, there are historical homes now. The state of Georgia owns the park. Uh, they lease out another group, the hotel, to run. But the houses are maintained on the National Historical Register, and they're part of the state park. So you can't go in any of them without a guided tour or permission, but you can go look in the windows and walk on the porches and walk all around them. And they're, they're set up inside just like they were when they were actually being used in the, back in the 20s and, and earlier. So uh, we, we go over there, and he's got the keys, so we go into the house. And he takes me into the parlor, and he says, well, I know you're, you're a praying guy, so you probably would like to have a little time to pray. He said, you're standing right on top of the altar right now. This is the room that is built on top of it. He said, I'm just going to go over here and sit down for a few minutes and read the newspaper, and I'll let you pray and do whatever you need to do. Now, this parlor, that's where thats where those guys, J.P. Morgan and all those guys, actually conceived of the Federal, Federal Reserve, right? Right over that that's, altar. That's exactly right. It's the room that they were sitting in when they drew wow. up the, the, uh, the entire legislation and planned to pass it that became the Federal Reserve Act. Wow. So this was over the, the Federal Reserve Act of 1913 that basically was the the you know death ultimate death of the dollar where we went to just purely a debt-based currency that ultimately was going to have nothing backing it other than air. Um this is where the satanic plot was all conceived literally over this high-level pagan Nephilim built altar where they sacrificed hundreds if not thousands of babies literally in this specific area in the parlor of this house because that's there were areas that they used to call parlors and houses this is where these guys met to to conceive this whole idea of the federal reserve and, and, to, and to hammer it all out this big secret of meaning that if you want to know more about it just get Gia where Griffith's book on Secrets of Jekyll Island, or even, the, it's right on the internet, the Creature from Jekyll Island, Geoward Griffith. You can just hear his presentation on I went and saw him give a presentation. Oh, my word. I don't know, it's probably like 2003, 2004. I saw him in Tampa. And um, so if you want to know more about it, you can do that. The conception of the Federal Reserve Banking System on the parlor, sitting on top of a blood sacrifice altar. Where babies were sacrificed. Yes. Oh. And so, you know, uh, and then you look at the $1 bill, you got the all-knowing eye of Lucifer, you got the, you know, the pyramid with the 13 levels, you've got, you know, a new Coeptus, Novus, Novus Ordo Secorum, announcing the birth of the new world order, right there in our own dollar bill. You know, all this, I mean, I, I could do a, at least an hour teaching just on the dollar bill. On all of the occult garbage. And I have done that. Just can't dollar. I've, I've done different teachings on it. I mean, so, I mean, <laughs> they're not even trying to hide it, essentially. And it's like, wow, no wonder our banking system has so much corruption in it. Even yeah. when people want to do the right thing. You know? No kidding. Uh, and so, I, you know, just being a banker is not an easy job, but it's like not all of them are bad guys, but it's like 
wow. And that was not what our founders said. That took over. It usurped the authority of the way our founding fathers suggested that we bank as a country. And even the way it was passed had a lot of, you know, things that didn't seem right about it. Um, but the the idea that it was conceived like this, I'm going, this is not just a bunch of wealthy guys that got away for vacation and came up with a profitable business plan. This has got something diabolical, something occultic about it, something evil that's wrapped up with it. Yeah. And so even if, even if it had been a good... Even how the people, like the Rockefellers and these, got to Jekyll Island, that to, to get there for this meeting, it was incredibly secretive. I believe they all came by train, but the, but whenever they were on a train, it was like, you know, they were secreted away on the train. It was like the middle of the night. Nobody knew they were on the train. It was just like it, they, they wanted the highest level of secrecy because they knew what they were going to do was one of the most diabolical things they were ever going to do to the country of America. And they wanted to make sure nobody knew these people were meeting. And again, if you want to know more about that G. Edward Griffith creature, Jekyll Island, or just key it on YouTube. In fact, literally, I'm looking at the presentation. It's an, it's on one of the, um, uh, you know how they have the videos that are, that are similar um, in YouTube. On the right-hand side, you can see it right there. So if you click on the link to this video in the PDF, you'll be able to find that easily idea and something beneficial for the country, which many would argue that it was. Um, this demonic power must have gotten into it. That's what happens when an altar is not dealt with. That's what happens when God's people do not do spiritual warfare the way he tells us to. Right. Then we all become subject to it because they didn't just create a bank, they created a banking system that every one of us have, have become subject to. So, so think about this. You've got money that you receive as a ministry or that you, when you earn, I'm sure you tithe and give offerings. On your right. money is idolatry. It's printed right on your money. Right. And, and you're using that money. You're coming into the house of God, and you're laying that idolatrous coin or dollar bill on God's altar and saying, I'm giving you this as an offering. Wow. What if the living holy God hates it? Wow. We we don't have a choice because it's we're subject to it. Yeah, that's why they call it they call it they call it circulation, because that's exactly what we're doing. We're circulating a, a talisman that has evil attached to it right from its conception. Right. Is it possible, now I'm not saying thus that's Lord here, but is it possible that a lot of the financial blessings and a lot of the things that God has promised his people and that we're supposed to be the head and not the tail, and we're supposed to be, um, you know, we ought to be running the, the world in a righteous, holy way, not, not ruling over people in a mean way, but just bringing wisdom to the every single industry. I think it's real possible that the reason why many people in the body of Christ struggle financially, even when they're doing God's perfect will, even when they're walking out their ministries as best they know, is because we're forced to do business with something idolatry, and we must be bringing us tents before God's eyes when we give him an offering with it. Mm. 
Wow. That's why he says that, you know, I don't want your offerings. I want, I want praise. I want worship. I want prayer. You know, uh, I mean, it's, it's tough because whatever, everything we do, I mean, from eating to living and electricity, I mean, everything we do costs money. I mean, it's, we're trapped in a, in an evil system. That's what I'm saying, that we become subject to it against our will. Uh, either we didn't resist and say, no, we don't want that. We we didn't elect our representatives to represent us correctly because they deviated from righteous wisdom when they passed this bill to allow idolatry to become the circulated means of exchange. It's And the fact that we are subject to that says there's something wrong in the land, not just something wrong with our hearts. There's defilement in the land, and then there's defilement in our hearts. And, all right, now, to relate that to Scripture in, in one way, without deviating too much from the story, because I, I want to tell you the rest of the altar part, but uh, when I was in Israel the last time, I was studying out with some of the rabbis that I know that passage of Scripture on Jesus turning over the tables. And I was meeting with some Orthodox rabbis, but they were respectful of the fact that I believe that Jesus is, or Yeshua is the Messiah, and I asked them some hard questions. And they asked me some, too. But one of the questions I asked them was, why did Yeshua need to turn over the tables at the temple? What was going on? I assumed and had been told by other pastors and ministers that they were probably cheating people at those tables. They weren't giving them a fair exchange. They were, you know, using dishonest scales, and Jesus knew they were cheating, so he threw their tables over. I got quite a different answer from the rabbis. One of them pulled a coin out, and he said, this is an ancient coin. I carry it around because it was minted here in Jerusalem. And it was discovered and found by a friend of mine when we came back to the land in 1948. It was found on in the vicinity of the Temple Mount. And he said this was called a Jerusalem shekel. It was minted from the time of David all the way up to the time of um, the Temple being destroyed in 70 AD. Only it was changed once during that period. He said when David ordered coins to be minted, it had a menorah on it. But during the days of Herod... So he said when David ordered the coins to be minted, it had a menorah on it, the Jewish menorah. Coin had the same weight, the same, you know, constitution, it was, it was mostly silver, and it, it was a, a set weight exchange. But he said they changed... Which the, is fair. It's just scales and balances. God abhors unjust scales and balances. You know, silver coinage that is accurate, meaning if it says it's one ounce of silver, it's one ounce of silver. That is a... The, God likes that because it's just. It's real. It's, 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 you know, it's an element that he put here on the planet that has intrinsic value. I'm not saying you put your trust in it, but it's sure a lot more righteous than these one dollar fiat meaning fake pieces of dead instrument that they print out the federal reserve do that you know are that have nothing backing them at all 
picture on it, it was no longer menorah. It was the face of Baal. Oh, my word. Yeah. So this, this coin that they found there in Jerusalem, they had they had changed this from what David said with the menorah, and now it had a the face of Baal on it. Or Baal, depending on how you want to... I mean, that child sacrifice deity. That's how much uh, evidently they had uh, went into idolatry. Not to say our $1 bill is any better, but this was the um, this was what had happened in Jerusalem. And I think this is why he's going to relate to uh, why Jesus overturned the tables. And so he had the one that had Baal's face on it. Yeah. And I asked him, I said, I said you're, you're a holy man. I can tell you love God with all your heart. Doesn't it bother you to carry that coin around? He said, yes, but that's why I carry it around. It reminds me how easy it is for Israel to become subject to idolatry. Yeah, us too. Because, it, because he said it was priests that minted this coin with the face of Baal. Wow. Wow. And it was, it was a wicked king named Herod who ordered us to do it. And it was Rome's influence that gave us a benefit for doing it by making it something circulating that would make us wealthy but not holy anymore. Mm. And so, so evidently, if, if I'm assuming this is the this is a herit of the Bible and the one in Jesus's day that ordered this, so the the coinage had just changed from a menorah all going all the way back to King David, which was you know a long long time ago, depending on you know on, on how long that Jesus had been there. I mean, from when David was around to when Jesus got there, to right, literally, it sounds like, right around the time that Jesus was born, Herod changed it to the face of Baal on it. So that might have had something to do with the timing of Jesus coming back as well. You know, I mean, that was set in stone, but all of this transpiring around the same time. Said when Jesus, when, when, and he said, I'm not going to try to tell you that I think Yeshua is the Messiah. I, 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 he was pretty adamant that I don't agree with you on that. Now, this but, is this Jewish rabbi he was talking to that had this, this original minted coin from that time period with the face of Baal on it. I'm searching that out because my best friend lived his whole life trying to prove that that was not accurate, and he died telling all of us in this room that he had come to the conclusion that Yeshua was the Messiah. Amen. And because he was my best friend, I'm searching that out in the scriptures now for myself. He said, however, whether that's the case or not, historically, if that's accurate, what, what Yeshua did, he did Israel the greatest service when he turned those tables over. I said, I don't understand. Why, why, what, what exactly did he do? He said, he said publicly, this, my father's house is a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. He said, that phrase doesn't mean you're cheating people at the table. It means you're robbing men of their souls. Wow. Wow. He said, the reason was because Herod required a temple tax and the priests of that day were corrupt and they required tithes and offerings and taxes to be paid and the rules in scripture was that whenever a census was taken 
a half a shekel for every male had to be paid, whether you were poor or not. And he said Rome required a census to be done every year so they could collect the tax. And so he said to pay that tax, you had to come into the temple and pay it with a shekel or a half shekel. And the only shekels that were allowed were ones with the face of Baal. Wow. Wow. The face of Baal in the temple of Jehovah. Yes. Wow. So Jesus was saying to the whole city that day. Actually, the way he used that phrase terminology, Jehovah, is is actually the proper Hebrew way to say Jehovah. If you look at the etymology of that word, that's how you say it. Now, I don't do that, okay, but that was the actual proper way. It's not Yahweh, okay, just so you know, I've done a whole teaching on that, just keying sacred names um, in the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com because you want to really make sure you're using the actual name of God and not something evil. <laughs> and a lot of people on that one are duped. You stop giving your money to these priests. Stop putting it in that offering plate. Well, don't do this anymore. You're robbing your sons and daughters of their souls because you're trying to bring something idolatrous in front of the face of a living God. Oh, man. I mean, I've, I've been saying that without even know what I'm, knowing what I'm saying because this is what you're saying is new revelation for me, but... I mean, I've been saying for over a year now that I hate carrying at least a dollar bill in my pocket because that's all. The whole thing is uh, is to bail. It's Nimrod. I mean, I call them Nimrods. Uh, but you yeah, didn't I mean, get out shape over it. I mean, it's really easy to get up when you learn the truth. It's easy to just want to move somewhere else or want to just go give all your money away. It's worthless anyway, and <laughs> at the same time, right? Like, but it's our means of exchange. What do we do? You know, I'm thinking about Psalm 11. When the foundations are broken, what do the righteous right. do? Yep. We have to repair the foundations in order to lay hold fully of the righteousness. And then it's not just in our heart. It's not just a hope or a desire. But it should become the law of the land because it's good for everybody. It's not forcing something on others that's bad. It's giving them righteousness and peace and joy and, and freedom, which is what our country was established for. So I, I, I took note of that, and, and I'm sitting there at Jekyll Island suddenly, and, and the rabbi's words were ringing in my spirit, and I'm just weeping yeah. on Jesus. Jesus. We've become subject to something evil. We're being robbed of our souls. Is this going on in your temple in America like it was going on when you turned the tables over in the Temple Mount? Yeah. And Lord just to me, absolutely it is. And it's not just that, but it's got a blood oath and a covenant with something evil attached to it. And its evil design is to enslave you. And while I'm standing in the parlor, the Holy Spirit says these words to me. He said, son, are you free? I said, yes, I'm free because you made me free. He said, no, you're not. You're a slave. Hmm. Because you have debt that you're right. not fully paid up. 
Yeah. And I said, well, yes, Lord, I, I know that. But so he said, no, you're not. You're a slave because you have debt you've not fully paid off. The Bible says the borrower is slave to the lender. You look at the term mor mortgage. Mortgage means um, mort means death, like a mortician, a mortuary. Gage means contract. So it's a death contract. So uh, this is why I've always encouraged everybody to, you know, get out of debt. I myself am guilty of that. I'm still paying off my school loan from chiropractic college, you know. Um, and, you know, never ending, never ending, you know, paying on this thing for like decades at this point. And, and uh, it really is, it, it, it is total bondage. Is, is is really what it gets down to. You know, I'm not behind the So I said that to say that I, I'm not acting like I'm some puritanical holier than thou and I'm, I'm like looking down on anybody, you know, type of thing. Bill, I'm trying, and I've asked you to clear my debts. I've asked you to help me get that done, and you've promised me you would. He said, I know, but you need to understand what's happening today, why this was so important, why I needed you to, to come here instead of go home. Because he said, right now, if I gave you the money to pay off all your bills and your house and your car and all your possessions and your credit card, if everything was paid off, would you then be free? And I said, yes, Lord, I, I wouldn't owe anyone anything but to love them. He said, you still wouldn't be free. Mm. Because you're the citizen of the United States. Right. Right now, at this day, you owe about $30,000 just because you're a U.S. citizen, even if your house was paid for, your cars were paid for, and you had no other debt. You owe that money because you're a citizen and because your representatives have put that debt on you. And because the generation before you was more concerned about what they could have than they were about you. Meaning the the the, the um, American cumulative debt, you know, this trillions and trillions of dollars. When you when you divide that up, you know, it comes out to uh, so much amount per citizen. Is I believe what the Lord was in reference to there. Wow. Man, Lord, I I didn't know the the, the deficit was that much for every individual. And he said, well, what I'm about to do is to bring judgment to that, but you need to understand it's going to get worse before it gets better. Right now it's about 30000 but before the year is out, it's going to go up to about 300000 Yeah. And I went, my God, but what are you getting ready to do? He said, I need you to break this altar. Help me break this altar. And then I'm going to bring a judgment into your land. It's not a judgment on the whole country. It's a judgment on this system that is enslaving my people. He says, I'm going to judge death like I judged slavery in the Civil War. And he said, it is the same thing. Only this system has enslaved the world, not just enslaved you as a citizen. Right. And so I, I said, well, how do we break an altar that I can't see and I can't put my hands on? And I'm in a historical house. I don't want to damage the house. What do I do? And the Lord said something funny to me. He's like, whenever he says my name, it's kind of like Dad. You know, yeah. you know, you know. 
how your dad would call your name, and you know, uh, I better pay attention. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Tim- uh, Timothy, how big is your spirit? Lord, I hate it when you ask me questions like that. I, I don't know the answer to that. You know the you know the answer. Tell me. <laughs> he said, "How big do you think your spirit is?" I said, "I really don't know, Lord. I know that." You know, the word says I sit with you in heavenly places, and I know I'm right here on the earth, and somehow that's possible to be in both places at once. You're in me, and I'm in you. I don't really know how to answer you. He said, you're big enough to sit in my realm and stand there at the same time. You believe that? Yes. He said, I want you to pray until you can see my face and until you can see the altar in the spiritual realm. Don't worry about the other gentleman. He's he's going to sit quietly while we do my business. <laughs> I said, all right, Lord. So I started praying, shut my eyes, began praying intensely, and probably 15 minutes I began to sit in the spiritual realm and I could see his face. And he was smiling. He was just smiling. It was like he was almost giddy, like he was having fun, getting ready to do something fun. And he just looking at me. He goes, do this. And he stood next to the altar, and suddenly I could see it. And he's on one side, and I'm on the other. And he just says, in my name, and he kicked it. <laughs> and uh, so I kicked my side. He kicked his side. So in, in basically in the spiritual realm, God kicked the altar, and then um, Tim kicked the altar on his side. And, and from a, this, they were breaking the altar from a spiritual standpoint. And a similar thing happened. It wasn't quite as dramatic as what had happened over in the Middle East, but suddenly we heard this crack again. I don't get that. I don't know what that's about. But something breaks in the heavens when this kind of stuff is done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And our museum buddy jumps out of his chair. He, he realized, he, he's like, what did you do? He thought I had broke the floor or something. <laughs> I said, I didn't do anything. I just prayed. He said, well, I just heard a loud noise. What was that? I said, the demonic power that is dealing with this altar is broken. He said, well, what does that mean? What's going to happen now? I said, I'm not really sure. But I know there's going to be a great change that comes with everything that relates to this altar. So we, you know, finished our talk and walked out. I thanked him for the day, and I went back to my room. Um, prayed around the around the island a little bit the next day and um, uh, the rest of the day and then had my supper and started home. Um, about five days afterwards, after we, I was in that parlor. Okay, so this is five days after he'd broken the altar with the Lord when he was in the parlor. Five days later, because this is, this is really important. This is the year 2008, I believe. The financial collapse happened here in the United States. Of 2008? No, it's like 2008, was it? 
Yeah, so it's, uh, uh, what was it, Lehman Brothers announced yeah. that was the first thing that, that was, it, it was already, I think, starting to happen behind the scenes, but they came out just uh, less than a week after I was there, announced that they were bankrupt, and that was the beginning of the thing, then the stock market just took a dive. Um, the AIG, all of that stuff just started unraveling, and next thing you know, we got to have a bailout, and we end up with a, what we were told was a six to seven hundred million or billion dollar bailout. Well, isn't it odd that we have a seven hundred billion dollar bailout, but within a year the deficit goes from about that amount up to two and a half trillion? Yeah, that's right. Which which would make every person's every Americans born, whether you're an infant or an adult, their cumulative debt when, when God had said, Okay, it's it's this amount now, but it's going up to like three hundred thousand per person. Or it's thirty thousand going up to three hundred thousand per person. That's why. Because then the cumulative debt really went through the roof after this two thousand eight financial collapse. How do you go to two and a half trillion when you only added seven hundred billion? <laughs> Yeah. It's because it's not just seven hundred billion. It was seven hundred billion to bail out, and then it was a floodgate of printing money. Yes. To do anything necessary to stop the bleeding right. of the banks worldwide. Right. Because the whole system is unraveling. That was standing on the power of a blood sacrifice altar. Okay, and so that's called quantitative easing, essentially, where they're just increasingly printing money out of thin air just to try to prop up this dead corpse of a system that I've been, you know, you've heard me say this quite a while. Ultimately, it's something's got to give, something's got to go. And I don't know, you know, there's so much on that this year on the um, inevitable collapse of the dollar. And then uh, when... And I had reported on this earlier with uh, China denominating off uh, the uh, buying the the oil with the yuan. They were leaving the petrodollar, the American dollar. And immediately when that happened, after I did that teaching, that same week, gas prices went up, I'd say 25, 30 cents a gallon. And they've stayed up. There was nothing I really saw in the mainstream news at all about it, but that is what I had talked about. And it wasn't me; it was just a, it was matter of a fact. It was a, at this date, China was going to start denominating oil purchases in the yuan, and they were going to be moving away from the petrodollar. There's a lot of other countries that want to do that as well, and that was one of the only things propping up the dollar. Is that well? It's not the only thing, but it was one of the main things. So, uh, anyway, that's all I have for part one. I'm really way over time on this particular part, but just take it to the Lord in prayer. Um, Mind-blowing information, but it makes sense. It makes scriptural sense. It makes biblical sense. Yeah, uh, you, you look at the big picture of that, and it's just sends chills up your spine. So God bless you and we will see you in part two.
Scott Johnson's 1,000 plus audio teachings and PDF documents are available for free 24-7 on the internet at contendingfortruth.com. That's C-O-N-T-E-N-D-I-N-G-F-O-R-T-R-U-T-H dot com. In addition, we also offer a free Christian current event and health email newsletter. You can sign up at contendingfortruth.com. These email newsletters typically only generate about three to six emails per month if you subscribe to both lists. Please prayerfully help us to continue this work. For mail correspondence or to support this ministry, our mailing address is Scott Johnson, 2359 Highway 70 Southeast, number 321, Hickory, NC, 28602. Or on the internet, a PayPal donation link can be found at contendingfortruth.com. Thank you and may the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you.